evidence and answers. Institutions are the major influences of our culture today. Christian sociology George Barna's research indicated that the leading influencers in American society today are movies, television, the internet, books, music, public policy, and law and family. The Christian church, his research shows, is not among the top dozen influencers of today. Why is the church no longer a major influence in our nation today? One reason is that she has fallen captive to the culture, something Paul warned the church about in Colossians 2, verses 1 through 10. You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today on our show, Pat will explain the captivity the church has fallen into and how she can break free here in part one of Captive to the Culture. What are the institutions that are the mover and shakers that are shaping the thinking of our culture and our nation today? What are they? Think about them. George Barna, a Christian sociologist, good, solid Christian sociologist, does great work as a sociologist. In his extensive study in an article in Christianity Today, he discovered that the leading influencers in American society today are movies television, the internet, books, music, public policy, law, and family. The Christian church in his research shows is not even amongst the top 12. We're not even a player in the game. Far cry from the way things used to be. He stated in his book, The Second Coming of the Church, he said, as we prepare to enter into a new century of ministry, we must address one inescapable conclusion. Despite the activity and hotspot emanating from thousands of congregations, the church in America is losing influence and adherence faster than any other major institution in the nation. Why is the church no longer a leading influencer in our culture, in our nation today? Many churches are busy doing social services and filled with activity, but not really impacting our culture for Christ. The church in our nation once a bright torch of flame, seems to have become a flickering candle in a dark world that needs the light of the gospel. So what happened here? Well, the vast majority of the church and believers in Christ have fallen captive to the culture, and many Christians and churches don't even know they've fallen prisoner and are captives chained in prison. Every believer in every church, you're either becoming complete in Christ or you're becoming a captive to the culture around you. It's a wondrous thing to see churches and believers become complete, mature in Christ, experiencing the vibrant fellowship and love and the wonder and majesty that comes from a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. But it's disheartening to see so many believers and churches taken captive by the idea of the culture that can rob us of the fullness of life that we have in Christ. And in these verses that we're studying today, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, Paul exhorts the church to attaining completeness in Christ, get there to full maturity. But he warns them also not to fall captive to the culture, which so many have. This is a threat that every Christian, even today, and every church faces. Paul opens the chapter stating this. He says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have 
for you and for all who have not seen me face to face. Now, Paul states that he wants every Christian to know the great struggle he engages in for their sake. And it's the struggle all Christian leaders, all Christian teachers, all Christian pastors engage in. And the word struggle there, the Greek word there is agonizomai, to agonize, all right? It's used of men in combat as they engage, agonize in hand-to-hand combat. Or it's used of men in athletic competition, all right, as they are engaging in the struggle for victory there. It's a very intense word. And it reveals the intensity of struggle that Paul, as a pastor, as the shepherd of these people has on behalf of the church at Colossae. It's the agonizomai every Christian teacher and leader and pastor struggles with on behalf of their congregation as well. And he agonizes and fights with such intensity because he wants the Colossians to become complete and mature in Christ. And when this happens, the church becomes a dynamic body, united in love. They understand the treasure and the riches they have in Christ. They're building one another up in the faith. It's a beautiful and wonderful thing to see. And that's why he says, I struggle. I agonize on my. Why? Because I want your hearts to be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and knowledge of God's mystery, which is in Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul struggles because he wants them to attain the full knowledge and wisdom, the wonderful treasures that are found in Christ, which is available to every believer in Christ, but few ever discover and few ever experience. Now, Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. God is the source of truth and wisdom. It resides and it is sourced in him. And Paul says, since Christ is God in the flesh, wisdom resides in Christ and begins in a relationship with him. Knowledge is the apprehension of truth. Wisdom here is the application of that truth. So Paul wants the Colossians to gain full knowledge of all the truth they have and the treasures they have in Christ and wisdom to be able to apply it and live wisely in this world. This is God's word, and this is God's world. You want to know how to live in God's world? He gave you the manual right here. Now, it's more than just an emotional faith. You've got to know and experience the fullness of Christ. Love alone doesn't bring unity. Love alone doesn't bring unity. Truth and love together bring unity. You've got to have full maturity comes when there's right thinking, and right thinking leads to right living. The two go hand in hand. When a church is educated in Christ, when a church is living for Christ, you have a body that's united in love, experiencing the fullness that God wants for us individually and together as a body of believers in Christ. So right living comes from right thinking. You've got to be educated in Christ. That's what Paul is exhorting the church in Colossae and all of us in this exhortation. You know, recently we saw the Super Bowl, 
And, you know, it was a boring one, but nevertheless, Tampa Bay completely clobbered and shut down one of the most high-flying offenses that we have seen in recent times. And how were they able to do that? Well, one of the things that you see in championship teams is that they, there's a camaraderie there. The players love one another. They're willing to throw their bodies for the sake of getting their running back or their quarterback safely to complete the play. Some are willing to take a pay cut so that we can get the players we need. Some are willing to sit on the bench, all right, and just go in on certain occasions. They understand their role in the whole team, and they're willing to sacrifice for one another. There's a camaraderie there. But love alone doesn't build a championship team. They can love each other all day. But if they don't know the philosophy of the coach, and they don't know the playbook, I don't care how much you love each other, all right? You ain't going to be a championship team. You've got to have right thing. You've got to know the philosophy of the coach and the philosophy of the team. And you've got to know, you've got to have studied and memorized and know that playbook. And it's a thing of beauty to see when every player on the field knows their assignment, knows exactly what to do. And it's a thing of beauty. I mean, you watch Tampa Bay. Man, it was like poetry in motion, offense and defense, everyone knowing exactly what they're doing. If one player is not doing his job, that could be disastrous for the team. And same in the body of Christ. You've got to know the philosophy of the coach, and you've got to know his playbook right here. I played football in high school. I was a wide receiver, but I was also the backup quarterback. And whenever they had me in practice running the offense, I'm usually with the second and third stringers. All right? And there's a reason they're second and third stringers. Because most of them don't know the plays. You know? <laughs> and I remember, we'd, I'd call a play, and because I'm short, I can't see over the line. We've got to do a lot of rollouts. All right? So I said, okay, we're rolling right and, you know, 81 special or whatever. Rolling out right, and the receivers, they don't know where to run. And in football, you watch these guys, when they throw a pass, it's timing. One, two, three, and I'm throwing to a spot. I don't have time to look around, gaze. Oh, there you go. Okay, I'm going to throw. No, it's one, two, three, boom. I'm throwing at that spot. You better be there. And so I'm running, one, two, three. There's nobody there. There's a bunch of defensive linemen and linebackers. There. Where's the wide He's on the other side of the field. The complete and total disaster. It's the responsibility of every player. Every player's got to know the philosophy and they've got to know the playbook if you expect to have a winning team. And that's the same in the body of Christ. It's the responsibility of every believer in Christ, of you and I. Every believer in Christ has got to study and know the Word of God. Right? Just one broken link in the chain, one player running the wrong route can be quite catastrophic for a team and in the body of Christ. You're saying, well, it's not important. I'm no big, big major player here in the church. You'll be surprised. You'll be surprised when you get into the Word of God and start applying the Word of God the way that God can use you when you start thinking right and you start living right. It's the responsibility of every believer then. So get into a Bible study program. Have a daily Bible reading program. There's no shortcuts here. There's no shortcuts. Got to get into the Word. How do you become a good mechanic? You just watch TV? 
No, you get in there and you work on cars, you study, you get mentored, and you're doing some serious studying. You guys, all of you here, know what it's all about. If you got to do that to become a good mechanic, good electrician, a good computer tech, same thing with the Word of God, there's no shortcuts here. And get involved in a good connect group, great Bible study, and together get into the Word. It's the responsibility of every believer because right living comes from right thinking. When you're educated in Christ, you know God's truth, and you will not get deceived. Paul writes in verses 4 through 5, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I'm absent in body, I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and firmness of faith in Christ. Paul wants them to be fully educated, steeped in God's truth, so that they may not be deceived with plausible arguments. Now, the Greek word here, plausible, means persuasive or powerful or smooth talk. False teachers and false ideas don't come in an ugly package. A false teacher ain't going to be on TV saying, hey, I'm a false teacher. I'm here to lead you astray. Error comes mixed with truth. That's how false teaching comes. It comes mixed with some truth. And usually it's a very charismatic, persuasive speaker, a way it comes across. You watch the movies or the TVs. These false messages come through in very powerful, captivating images. And false teaching is going to be very destructive because it perverts the truth of God's Word. And when it perverts the truth, it perverts your view of reality. And it's going to pervert your view of life. Right? It's like me giving you the wrong glasses. Now your view of life and the conclusions you're going to come to are going to be skewed. And it's going to rob you of the joy and fullness that you can have in Christ because we are created in the image of God, designed to live according to God's truth. We're designed to discover, know, and live according to truth, not according to what is false. And false teaching is one of the greatest threats to the church because I've seen it again and again and again all over the world. When false teaching creeps into the church, it divides the body of Christ. I mean, I'm speaking in three churches this year that had a major split. Why? False teaching crept in and divided the church. But Paul says here, For though I'm absent in the body, yet I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and firmness of faith in Christ. So apparently this heresy had not infiltrated and taken a foothold in the church yet. This is one of the greatest threats to believers in Christ and the body of Christ, false teaching. And if it gets a foothold in a church, it will poison and eventually corrode the life of believers and the body of Christ. So when you know God's Word, you're not going to get easily deceived. Well, how is the church doing today? Well, George Barna, in his research, did a massive, massive survey in his book, Think Like Jesus, and he discovered only 10% of Christians even have a biblical worldview. All right, that means 90%, 9 out of 10 people in church, think like the culture and not like Christ. 90% of the church is captive to the culture and not completing Christ. Only 10% have a biblical worldview. Only 2% of our young people have a biblical worldview. And what was most shocking is that less than half the pastors, and these are good Bible teaching churches, all right? These aren't liberal 
churches he was uh, surveying, less than half the pastors even have a biblical worldview. How can we impact the culture when we think just like the culture? Christ called us to be salt and light, but it looks like we've been salted and licked. Instead of impacting the culture for Christ, the culture is impacting and transforming the church. Why is that going on? And the results have been disastrous. Hey, we know surveys show that 80% of our young people abandon their faith after four years of college. Why is that? Well, the college campus is dominated by the ideas that stand against Christ. Atheistic Darwinism, the new atheist movement, is dominated by the naturalist worldview. Relativism, pluralism, the new tolerance, these are the ideas that dominate the university campus and the culture today. And our young people are ill-equipped to engage these ideas. And we send them out into the spiritual and intellectual battlefield with a water gun. And they're unable to stand up against the powerful, persuasive teachings of the university culture and their professors and their faith is blown out immediately. In fact, we're learning. It doesn't happen just in college. It's already happening at the junior high and high school level. And we're learning apologetics you have to do at the junior high level already. All right, they're being bombarded by the ideas that dominate the culture today. And buying into these ideologies can have a very corrosive effect on your faith in Christ. Paul knew what the ideas of the culture were, and he knew how to engage them for Christ. So your life application is this. There's one part of apologetics that defends the faith. 1 Peter 3.15, but... Set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always be prepared to give an answer, an apologia, a defense, to everyone who asks you the reason, the logos, a rational, reasonable answer for the hope that you have in Christ. An emotional faith is only going to take you so far. Sooner or later, you're going to need to know why. You're going to need to have solid evidence and reasons for why you believe in Christ. When your faith is challenged by the ideas of the culture that stand against the teachings and truth of Christ. So every Christian needs to know not only what they believe, but why they believe. So that when challenged by the ideas of the culture, you can make a defense for why you believe and stand against the assaults that come upon your faith in Christ. So Paul says, do not be deceived. His third exhortation is found in verses 6 through 7. Be living for Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, so also walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding with thanksgiving. Paul says, therefore, as you received Christ, so walk in him. Those who have received Jesus Christ as Lord were to remember to walk in obedience to Christ, to bring every part of your life under the lordship of Christ. And he exhorts believers to be rooted okay, and grounded in their faith. Rooted as the image of a tree with solid roots so that when the hurricane comes, it's not blown over. 
to be established, to be built up in the faith. Built up there means to be strengthened in the faith. That comes through prayer, worship, fellowship together. And I want to emphasize the study of the word. Right? I emphasize study because that's the most neglected part of the Christian's life. We have today one of the most highest biblical illiteracy rates in the history of the church. That's hard to believe, isn't it? With all the tools that we have today, we have one of the highest biblical illiteracy rates in the church. And Paul says, abounding with thanksgiving, gratitude is the hallmark of a believer's life. It's the mark of a mature believer in Christ. So Paul says, you accepted Christ as Lord? Walk in a manner worthy of that. Remember that and bring every part of your life under the lordship of Christ. In my lifetime, I've seen many Christian leaders, even uh, good friends of mine, fall under the power of sin. And uh, a lot of my students and Christians have been asking me about one of our recent friends uh, who passed away last year, perhaps the most well-known apologist of our time. He was, after Billy Graham died, he was probably the most well-known speaker in the world, Christian speaker in the world. Everywhere I went, everyone knew who he was. And recently it's been confirmed that throughout his life he had been involved in sexual misconduct, which included rape and sexual abuse of multiple women. Hard to believe a man so powerful in his ability to communicate the truth of God's word who impacted thousands of lives throughout the world could have had this hidden, dark, secret life of sin. What happened there? Well, sin got a foothold and eventually took control. That's why Paul says, remember, just as you receive Christ as Lord, so walk in him. Not only do you have to think right, you've got to live right in obedience to Christ. Many of us think we can control sin, but if we don't deal with it quickly, it eventually takes control of you and me. What happened to this man and many Christian leaders, men and women, can happen to any one of us. We're all vulnerable. And I'm not throwing stones at them, because I know that could easily be me. We need to walk under the Lordship of Christ. You think you can control sin, but if you don't deal with it, it's going to take you prisoner and control you. So our life application is this. The Christian life is not meant to be lived alone. When Paul speaks, he's not speaking to one individual person at Colossae. He's speaking to the body, the entire church of Colossae. The Christian life is meant to be lived together, to study the word together, to worship together, to fellowship together, to be built up in Christ together as a family, as a believer in Christ. That's why I'm so thrilled to see this church packed out, you know, because you're coming together to worship together because that's how the Christian life is meant to be fully displayed there. So fine, get in those connect groups, find accountability partners, men and women you can share your deep struggles with and say, hey, I know this ain't going out of this group, but I got to share this. I'm struggling, man. Pray for me. Pray for me, guys. Help me out here. Keep me in prayer. That's what we need. And often that was a missing thing in many of these believers' life who went astray. 
And Paul's final exhortation is this. So there's two to-be's and two not-to-be's, right? Be educated, be walking in Christ, do not be deceived. And the last one, do not be taken captive by the culture. So see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Now Paul is not writing against all philosophy here. He's writing against false philosophy. run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers radio broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps hold an apologetics conference, give him a call locally in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website. Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org. And you may do so right there online on the homepage. You'll find we have a wide variety of resources available to you. Everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with those around you. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucaran. Oh, 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 oh,